welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship gathering at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Please sit back and enjoy our teaching time now with lead pastor, John Buckley. Lord, as we come to this part of the service, we thank you, first of all, for all that's taken place up till now. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us a time and calling us to remember the sacrifice that was made that we have life, might have life eternal, God. Lord, thank you for the music and the message, Lord, that it teaches us about your mercy and the freedom we have in you, Father. And Lord, we're going to open your holy word. Help us, Lord, not to look at this as just another book, God, but these are the words that you gave, inspired and spoke through men, and they wrote them on these pages over, Lord, long period of time, multiple backgrounds, and you wrapped it together so that we could have it for our guidance, for our encouragement, for our protection, for our edification. I pray, God, that we'll view it that way as we open these pages Lord, help me as I preach that I wouldn't get in the way of your message and that, Father, we truly hear from you through your word today. In your precious name, amen. If you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to 2 John. I'm sorry, 1 John. Wow, already starting off well. 1 John chapter 2. Last week when we were uh, challenged by John Morgan, He especially went over the false prophets and some of the things to be aware of and the dangers that they presented to us as believers. And I I love the way that John just continues on with themes and with challenges. And a lot of times, although these breaks in chapters and there's breaks and we have these subject headings, we we miss sometimes the, the connection that takes place there, though, in the scriptures. And although we talked about false prophets as we, got, as we went through the last part of chapter 2, as we get into verse 28, we see that there's a bridge that's still there. And the bridge is as the warning of the false prophets and how they don't bring anything good to us. There's nothing promising that they give to us. There's no direction. It's hopelessness. But our hope is in Jesus Christ. And I love the way that John, both in the Gospel of John and in his letters, how he would constantly bring us back that although these are dangers, although these are struggles, although these are difficulties, these are people we should be aware of, these are messages that should raise a red flag for us, what we need to be reminded and drawn back to over and over again is who Jesus Christ is. And and what he does, not just 2,000 years ago, but what he does in our lives today. And we have his word to continue to guide us on that. And I encourage all of us as we gather today that you don't think about how this may or may not impact somebody else. If you have a phone and you're using that, you're using maybe the U version, the application, put at least on airplane mode so you're not distracted by texts that come in. If you're going to have a piece of paper and pen, I don't know if you're like me, I have to write notes while I listen, or I get distracted really easily. So whatever will help you, I want you to really be able to focus in and grab onto, because I'm sure that God has something here for every single one of us today that he wants to grab onto. And that's the way John wrote his letters. He knew that everybody there had something God wanted them to glean from what he was sharing with them. 
Now, we have hit numerous times in 1 John already this whole word abide, and we're going to see it as we enter into this today. Because we're hitting two topics, lots of material today. We're going to be talking about hope, and we're going to be talking about sin and how they define us. Now, not necessarily what sin, how that defines us, or how hope defines us, but how we're defined and how we approach those topics in our own daily lives. Now, if you see at the very end of verse 27, before we get into our passages today, he says this, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, because he was talking about false prophets, just as it has taught you, what are the last three words there? You can say it out loud. What are the last three words? Abide in him. Now, again, to refresh our memories, or in case you're new, abide has this concept of intimacy, connectivity. Not, there's no ability to tear apart. That's why I wanted us to hear John chapter 15, that Christ, we, are, we abide in him. You hear how many times that word abide is used there? We, as a branch, we are connected. You break off a branch, it's dead. We are connected. We are in Christ. Folks, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are in Christ. His spirit lives in your life at the point of salvation. We have so much to be excited about as a result of that. And then he leads us into verse 28. Now, how can you tell if you have hope? We're going to hit that, that as our first section in starting in verse 28. And now, little children... Abide in him. Boy, we hear it right off the bat again. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. So again, you see the tenderness of Paul. He uses the word little children. It also is a reflection, if you remember back when we were preaching on this earlier, when he said little children, it usually meant that they weren't mature in this area. So we wanted to make sure that they understood and got more maturity in the topic that he was going to be talking about. And so he understood that there was a lack of maturity when it came to understanding the abiding in him. So he says, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him at shame at his coming. See, the first thing we, that, uh, of how we can tell if you have hope is that you abide in Christ. As I mentioned, abide means that intimately connected. There's another definition I love, which is it's one of one person, of one body. Are we abiding in him? If you are, then you and I have hope. And in this day and age, there are so many things to look at to think that there's no hope to be found. Everything you think on an earthly basis that you could have hope in will, will in some way, shape, or form frequently disappoint you. I don't care what it is. I was just talking to a guy the other day, he bought a brand new car, and uh, three weeks into it, it died on him when he was driving down the road. Some sensor went wrong. Now, I always have beat up cars, so that made me happy because other people's cars, besides mine, break down, so I'll admit my fleshliness there. But, uh, you know, you, you can have your hope in a brand new car and a sensor can go wrong. You can have hope in a relationship. You can have hope in a brand new house. You can have hope in the investments that you have. Everything on earth will fail us in some form because we are failure made. We are human elements to us. But in Christ, we can have eternal hope because our destination is secure. Now, if we can consider that Christ will return today, which he could, how does that 
What does that create within you? See, what he says here in verse number 28 is that we can have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If, if, if you believe, if you're a child of God and you believe that Jesus Christ could come at any moment and we're confident in that, then we don't have to have any shame if we're living the life the way that Christ wants us to live that life. But we don't have to have any shame because our confidence is in Christ. Remember, when we die as Christians, we're not gonna be judged for what we did. We're gonna be rewarded for what we do when we get to heaven for Christ. We may feel a sense of foreboding that we didn't do some of the things that we wanted to do, but it's not a time of condemnation for believers. It's a time of, of confidence. It's a time of rejoicing and celebrating because whatever we do, we get to bring back and give to Christ in the form of crowns that are given to us to give back in gratitude. So if Christ comes back today, if you're a child of God, that should create an excitement in you. But I think sometimes we're like the kids waiting for Christmas Day, where the anticipation sometimes we think is just not worth it. Well, I had a bad Christmas before, so this is gonna be a bad Christmas. My parents don't know what presents I want, so you know they're probably not gonna give me what I, what I want this year. Or we can go with that anticipation to go, I already know because I've seen what Christ has already done, so I know what I can look forward to. I've seen the way he's carried me in rough times. I've seen the way his promises are true. I've seen the way he's brought people into my life. I've seen his grace and his mercy. And I don't have to have anything but confidence and no shame at his coming again. You abide in Christ. Secondly, in verse 29, you live righteously. You live righteously. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Now, if we were to ask all the parents here today to stand up and tell us how they know their children are theirs, we're not talking about a paternity test as if they weren't yours, we're talking about how can we really tell? Now, some families all look like they came from the same family. I mean, if I took pictures of some of your families and put them up on the screen, they'd go, oh yeah, they're a part of that family. Not the way it is in the Buckley family, by the way. If I showed you a picture of all my kids, we do not all look, now some people will say some of them. If you spend time with my son Andrew, for instance, you're gonna find out really quick that he's my son. He's not here today, he probably wouldn't like me saying that, but it's the truth. Because kids always love to, you know, you're just like your dad. Don't we love hearing that? It's like, no, really? No, I don't wanna be like him. But you know, sometimes you can tell by the outside appearance, the, fate, the way they look how tall they are, how short they are, what their eye color is, what their ears look like. Other times you can tell, oh man, the way that kid's acting, he's gotta be your kid. Always said in positive context, by the way. But you know that, parents. There's physical and there's behavioral attributes, and as God's children, since he is righteous, one of the attributes that we'll see in our own lives, we are driven to be righteous as well. You can't sin any longer and just be okay with it. It's not the character of God, and as his children, it won't be our character either because we are in Christ, so you will live righteously. Not sinlessly, but righteously. Verse one in chapter three continues our thought of how we can tell if we have hope, and that's that you have experienced his love. Verse number one there, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it didn't know him, love. 
Now, anyone that's a parent again knows the amount of love that you have for your kids and the things that you've done for them that they will never understand. I mean, it's bad enough that you actually change their diaper. And that alone should get us lots of rewards, right? Because we've all had that diaper. You know, the one you'll never forget in your life. So you, you know, and then you talk about all the sleepless nights and the times that you had the arguments and maybe even heard a, I hate you, mom and dad, and the cutting that that was on your heart. The worried nights of are they going to come home when they get that license and they're out. The relational struggles, the academic struggles, the spiritual struggles. You know the aching of your heart as you've dealt with those situations. Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins, sent by God the Father, that we may have life, that's how love was shown, that he gave his life. Very few parents here will ever have to be in a situation where they'd have to literally give their life for their child. You'd push them out of the way as a car came by, so to speak, that you were able to somehow take their illness on. We aren't gonna normally have those situations. They're infinitesimal, the percentages. But Christ, he died that we could have life. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. We're his children. And anybody, again, that's a parent, you know how much you care for your kids and what you'll do for them. And because we've experienced his love, and the older you get and the more you appreciate what your parents have done for you, then all the more you want to share that love and that concern with others that they might be able to experience that love, sacrificial love that was given to us. In this world, we're really the aliens because this is not our home. If you're all comfortable here and can't, Think of or even ponder the thought that Jesus Christ could come back. That's a telltale reminder to you that if, are you just too earthly minded or do you really have a relationship with Jesus Christ? We're aliens. And since we're aliens that have experienced his love, we have hope, but it's not in this world. We wrap way too much on this planet and this world and our lives that's just going to last for maybe, possibly, might, 100 years. Oftentimes less than that. But folks, if we're in Christ, this is a sliver when you look at eternity. And we get so worked up about everything that happens on this sliver and forget about eternity. And if we can focus more on how we can live a life focused on eternity rather than the sliver, wow, does it make those fears pale? Wow, does it make those ailments a little easier? Wow, does it make those sin struggles that you get up every day and put the armor on and fight and get weary by? Boy, it makes it more urgent to fight it because you know there's gonna be an end in sight. And then there's eternity. Eternity with Jesus Christ because of the love that he showed to us to give us eternal life, and we have hope in that. The fourth thing, how can you tell if you have hope, is that you'll be like him, verse number two. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. 
Again, I love that. He, John goes back into that, that, again, nurturing beloved, cherished ones, people I care for. And, and just a side note, what a reminder to all of us. Who are we spiritually so in love with that we just can't wait for opportunities to help them in their spiritual journey? That's a part of the Christian DNA, is that you're gonna wanna invest in other people on their spiritual journey. And, and John's a great reminder to us of, of that here. Man, beloved, little children, you see that compassion and that care. He wants to see them what? Not just be better people, he wants to see them grow in Jesus Christ. And when we're not investing in helping other people grow in Jesus Christ, we aren't experiencing the joy to the fullest extent that God wants because it's a part of our DNA. That's a side note, bonus points. Beloved. Then he says this, we are God's children now. That confidence, we are his children now. Now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. And he's saying there is, we don't know fully what it's gonna be like to be in eternity with him. We don't know it fully, but someday, there's no more tears, folks. There's no more worries. There's no more struggles. There's no more heartache. And there's no more loss. Because we will be not only like him, but we will be with him. After this earthly journey, we will get experience heaven and with it a new body without any of the trapping humanity and its limitations. The next one, verse five, excuse me, the fifth one, verse three, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. As his children, we are striving to live a life of purity. We'll not attain that purity to its completeness on this side of heaven, but we do have the hope that one day we will be there. And that's what he's saying in this verse. Everyone who hopes purifies himself as he is pure. We work at it. We day by day, as God reveals things to us, we deal with them in our lives. We handle them. We don't ignore them. We, we, because why? We want to be pure like he is pure. And it's easy to go, well, you know, I'm never going to get there, so why try? Because God told us to. This is those situations where I think we sometimes think as Christians that this book here, that we have like give and take from it. When my kids were little especially, they've kind of learned it doesn't work as they get older, but when they're little, they love to bark with me. Well, Dad, if I put my shoes away, will you give me that? No, I just told you to put your shoes away. Well, what if you, would you do this? Like, what's behind curtain number one or something? You know, well, if I go to the store and I do this with, will you do that for me? It, with God, there's no bargaining. But when you look at what God has given to us, there's no need for it. But that's the same limitations our kids have sometimes. They don't see the big picture of what we want to teach them and what we have for them and what we want to give to them and how we want to see them grow and mature and handle these things on our own. And if we keep striving and striving and striving, we're going to be able to look back and see how God purifies us and sanctifies us on our journey, not because of us, but as Christ works in and through us. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14 says this. Not that I've already obtained this, 
or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for what? The prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Never stop striving and never stop hoping. Now it's gonna change from hope and how we're defined by that and we're gonna look now at sin and just challenge of why you can't live in sin. It's tied to the section on hope that we just learned about. John knew the natural battle with sin and knew that, the, that after being challenged to be like Christ, that it's natural to wonder about our battle with sin. As a Christian, we're gonna struggle with sin, but we don't have to be underneath the bondage of any specific sin. He has given us victory, and we can live in that victory. Not with the sinless perfection, but through daily obedience and his sanctifying work. And he wants to lay into that out for us. On top of it, he was dealing with a group of people who are being influenced by false prophets. Again, back to the message from last week. And how they were trying to add things to and modify and misdirect the whole aspect of sin in the Christian's life. So he wanted them to be grounded in the word. He wanted them to understand that some of the Gnostics out there were saying, hey, you know what, you can sin and it's okay because God's okay with it because he's merciful. And ignoring what Paul wrote in Romans, how can we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. So he's trying to teach that to them now as he enters this section here and see how that meshes in together with hope. Now, the first thing we see in verse number four is it's not consistent with the law of God to live in sin. It's not consistent with the law of God. Verse four, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Now, God's the one that established the law. And this verse is important because you're gonna see it doesn't say that anyone who sins, what's it say? It says anyone who makes a practice or a habit of sinning. Anyone who acts as if God's law doesn't exist and that they can live life the way that they want to is living in lawlessness. And that isn't consistent with God's law. I've said this before and I've asked for some clarification, but I believe that we sometimes live in this concept that we are the exception. That I know what God's word says, but look at all these good things I do, God, over here. So if I don't do this, you're okay with that, right, God? No. When we are redeemed in Christ, we are forgiven for all sins. Now we're trying to be obedient to him and allowing his spirit to sanctify us. So why would we want to keep bargaining with God or thinking, how can, let me get away with this sin still? That's not a part of our DNA anymore, folks. That's a concept of lawlessness. And when we talk about practicing sin, I think of it, and you're gonna see this in this whole thing. Let me just explain when I think of habitual sin and the way that I deal with it when I work with people and also in my own life as I look at it. If I think of habitual, it's a sin that I sometimes minimize. Are there sins in your life you minimize? Well, at least I'm not doing that, so if I just have my little pet sin over here and it's not really a big sin, then why do I have to really deal with this sin? Oftentimes, minimization sins are sins that would be more what we call white lie type sins. 
They're not as bad as something else. So I'm obsessed by my, my hobby. So I'm obsessed with my money a little bit. So I'm obsessed with a certain television show, whatever. I mean, I know I may be in the word more, maybe serving other people more, be giving a little bit, but this is kind of really small. And I think that habitual sin is when we minimize things that become idols in our life, and we have to be really careful about that. I think we also need to be understanding habitual sin are sins that don't bother us anymore because we've justified them so much. You know what, well, you know what, I, I know that, I have that, but you know, it's just, it's, it's just the way things are. And I, you know, I've tried before, I can't get over it, you know, so I'm just, I, just, I don't worry about it anymore. I, I know I struggle with that, but it's, you know, it's not really a big deal because you know, all these other situations are fine. So we have this tendency that we're not bothered by it, or the, and the other one is that we're minimizing it, and the other one is that we just don't feel that God can get the victory of it in our lives. Sexual sin's a huge one in that category. Hey, well, I know that, that this is an entrenching sin. It's a sin that God says that we're supposed to run away from. And, and you know, I, boy, it's so really, really hard. I just don't know how I can get conquer there, so I'm not even gonna try anymore to do that. So that, those are some things I think of when I think of what habitual sin is, and that's really what this passage is talking about. I think some people have taken this passage and start to say, well, if you sin at all. I don't believe that that's what the interpretation of this is all. It's that habitual or continuing in sin. But don't allow that then to just be passed by. I'm doing a Bible study in James, and we were talking about the wealthy and the poor. And I said, now you gotta realize, it's really easy to think, well, I'm not wealthy, because I don't have a million dollar house and four BMWs. But I said, in the Bible days, you were poor or you were wealthy. And if you had more than a couple days worth of food, you were wealthy. And then there was levels of wealth, but that's, he's talking about anybody in those categories. So we gotta understand in this passage as well, don't just say, oh, well, you know, I don't have any habitual sins. Would you do this with me? Would you take time today or this week and pray and say, Lord, would you reveal to me anything that fits in that category? Because I'm telling you, if you have them and they dog you and you're unaware of them because maybe you've just not even consciously realized that you're not allowing it to bother you anymore, those things will sink you spiritually. So it's not consistent with the law of God. Verse numbers five through seven, let's read those. It's not consistent with the works of Christ. Verse five, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides, there's that word again, in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, again that maturity level, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. See, Christ came to this earth to live a sinless life, and he died a sinless death, by the way, for our redemption. His work on the cross has allowed us who are in, cross, in Christ to not have to live bound to sin in our lives. If you have a life of habitual sin, then you're showing that you are not in Christ. If you are in Christ, then through the Holy Spirit's prompting, the word of God's teaching, and the accountability with the people of God in church, you have checks and balances to allow yourself to be convicted and confronted on your sins. And as a result, we can get freedom from these habitual sins in our life. If you're in Christ, then day by day, you'll go from immaturity to maturing in his righteousness. The work of Christ established that we might live in him and in that freedom. Again, look at verse five, no one excuse me, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, 
and in him there is no sin. That was, that's his, his plan. He did that for us. Verse six, no one who abides in him, that intimate connection, keeps on sinning. And no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. And then what he says is he wraps it up. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So not only is it not consistent with the work of Christ, it's not consistent with Christ's plan. The reason that Christ came to earth was to free mankind from the devil's clutches. And he lays out here, again in verse 8, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. We're saying to people who are father is that our habitual practice is to follow after the works of the evil one. And Christ came to conquer the evil one, that we might have eternal life, that we might have confidence in our future, that we might have hope. Verse nine, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. It's not consistent with the work of the Holy Spirit either. It's not consistent with the work of the Holy Spirit. He says, it's evident that we're children of God and we who are children of the, I'm sorry, verse nine again, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Why? Because God's seed, the Holy Spirit, abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. So I just have a couple of things as we enter into verse 10 that I want you to consider because I think it lays out in verse 10 the contrast. By this, it is evident who are the children of God. By what? By all the things that we just went over. And who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother which we're gonna be going into next week. So I'll leave that verse hanging there for a second. There it lays out for you. If you're a Christian, we have hope. If we're a Christian, we don't have to live underneath the bondage of sin. If you're not a child of God, I encourage you today to come and to pray with me or someone and simply ask Christ to come into your heart and wash away your sins and be your savior. To enter from death into life. Christian, if you're here today and you've lost hope and you've been discouraged or swayed by the evil one, I encourage you to claim his promises again. If you have sin in your life you need to deal with, please take time this week to say, Lord, reveal them to me. If you didn't take communion, perhaps, or maybe you, you feel like just in your life that you're struggling in certain areas, or maybe you're in your life and you feel like you just can't conquer these different things, or maybe you have a relationship you don't think can ever get fixed and so you just have given up on that and acting in a biblical way. I'm encouraging you today that Christ can give victory in all those areas. He wants us to have that relationship with him that's tightly bound together so that we can have that freedom. Because Christians who live underneath that, that shroud of shame rarely share the gospel with others and rarely live in the victory the way that God intended. So let's take that away from the devil today. So I have a few questions for you to ponder. Who is your hope in? I hope, that, I hope that your hope is not in something that's gonna let you down. Parents, finances, new cars, because they will fail you. Our hope needs to be in Jesus Christ. What kind of life are you living? As you look at your life, 
I'm not standing here as a judge and jury over your life. I'm asking you to take time to look at your life. And based on the way you live your life, what is it showing to other people that your hope is in? And how are you dealing in relation, doing in relationship to the sin in your life and how, how you're living things in the freedom that Christ has or are you living it in the bondage of those sins? And then the final question, which is laid out for us so well in verse 10, whose child are you? Are you a child of the devil? That doesn't mean you have to go and, and worship at a coven. It means that you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Or are you here as a child of God? I encourage you to consider the question. And if you answer, reality is I'm a child of the devil, please today leave his clutches and enter into the grace and mercy and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord. Uh, I know it's been a lot of material we've gone over, some deeper things. I pray, God, that you would just help us to process it, read over again, go back to John 15, and to really grasp, Lord, the richness of this passage, the principles to be taught, the promises we can cling on to, and that, Father, we would live out in our lives the, pro the principles and promises that you've laid out here for us. And we ask this in your precious name. Amen.